Good afternoon. Welcome to Truzilla. I am Megan sitting here with my good friends, Scott and Ed. Hello. Today we have an extra special guest. He is the mastermind writer, producer, and director behind the wildly popular and now censored from JFK to 9-11, Everything is a Rich Man's Trick, the documentary, Francis Richard Connolly. Thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, man. This is pretty awesome. Like I've been... uh, I feel like I say this to a lot of our guests lately. It's like I've been referencing and telling people about your work for so long, and now here you are. Here you are. Yeah, so it's definitely. so cool. It's quite an honor. Um, you know, I, I, you can't really summarize it any better than than what you put. Everything is a rich man's trick, and I think what we're seeing now, just more than ever. Like, like I still think that that theory applies to everything that we're seeing in the world today. Um, maybe just uh. You know, let, 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 let's get into it here. So what what is it that you're seeing uh, in the world today and, and, and in the context of the fact that everything is a rich man's trick? And, and I know that's a huge, broad question, and we can we can zero in on certain things as we go along, but uh, kind of where, where, where do you want to take us into first here? Well, I think, Scott, the best place to start, actually, <laughs> at this time, is with your election. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you couldn't you couldn't have a bigger rich man's trick than that. Um, what I'd like to say, and not just to you, but to America, because um, be aware that you may have millions of people watching you right now. That that don't be surprised if that's the case, because if there's one thing that's um, come out more and more and more, it's the degree to which the establishment is rigging the figures on videos like this. Um, We've had this right from the very beginning. Thank heaven. Uh, I was um, interviewed by Andy Young of Raconteurs News um, right at the very start because he woke me up to all the tricks that they're playing and they'll be playing tricks on you. So be aware that um, millions of Americans will, will see this on YouTube. I'm quite sure of that. And if we want to talk about rich men's tricks, um, the thing I'd like to say more than anything tonight to your fellow Americans is please do not vote. Do not vote in this election. You will be crazy if you, if you do. Whenever I'm doing anything important like this, I always try to find out if my hero, George Orwell, has ever said anything about situations like this. And uh, thank heaven, I, I found a quote, and I, there are not many George Orwell quotes that I don't know. <laughs> but funnily enough, I did find one for this. And the one I came across is Orwell saying, if you vote knowingly for corrupt politicians, You do not make yourself into victims. You make yourselves into accomplices. Okay. Absolutely. Do you want to be an accomplice to all the murders, all the extortion, all the planting of landmines that blow the legs off little African boys who are just out playing? They're still doing it. There isn't a I don't believe there's an American adult who isn't perfectly well aware of what your Central Intelligence Agency does around the world every day. If you vote in this election, because Trump or Biden, it's not going to make a difference. I mean, does anybody really think 
that if Hillary had won instead of Trump last time, that things would be different to what they are? Uh, please do not vote in this election. It's just another rich man's trick. And if you vote, okay, it might be exciting. It's going to be like a fireworks display for a minute. But I swear you'll wake up on Thursday morning or Friday morning, whenever you get the result, and you'll feel like someone who's had a one-night stand. And, you know, that feeling where you've gone, oh, my God. God, how could I have done that? How did I ever? You know that whole thing? I can see from the way that Ed's grinning that he's had this feeling <laughs> many times, but we won't go into that. But you, I think you all know what I mean. You're going to wake up on Friday morning thinking, how could I have done that? And you're going to regret it. Because all you'll be saying to the elite class is, hey, you know, we want another four years of this. And do you want another four years of this? Another four years of pandemic? Another four years of Jeffrey Epstein, Prince Andrew, Ghislaine Maxwell, all the things we're probably we're going to talk about? Yeah. Don't do it, America. Don't do it. Yeah. Don't participate. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. It's like the whole lesser of two evils. You know, um, our guest, uh, I saw a post that our guest, we just had posted the video for today. I saw Chris Kirchhoff. I saw his post today. He's like, I don't align myself with evil period. Right. And so it's just like, that's, that's so on point, man. Um, I completely, I feel you. I feel you. Um, it's, it's a crazy thing though, man. Like, uh, I feel like though, um, beings that it is all a trick and an illusion and, and theater, Right. Um, I feel like this whole thing has been set up in such a way that uh, Trump, like like the Democrats through the fight, the Biden campaign has thrown the fight. They've, they've made themselves so unappealing that there's no way that they're going to get the majority of the votes. And they need Trump to get reelected in order to create the situation that they want to create, which is absolute insurrection, absolute civil unrest, absolute destabilization um, in order to. Uh, so it's basically the problem reaction solution. So that's the problem. You create the problem. You have the Trump victory, which will create the reaction, which is complete civil unrest, which is the ultimate goal, the solution, right? To bring to, to bring in right the UN occupation to bring down the fall of America and, and eliminate American sovereignty. Like it seems like that almost is kind of a clear picture. What do you what do you think about that? I find it very interesting, Scott, that this is. This scenario, because I've heard you talk about this before on another broadcast, that you think that they're deliberately going to make things worse so that they'll have the, the excuse to bring in well, more draconian measures, more militarization. Is that what you, you, you think? That's what I see. Yep. You and Agenda 21. Yeah. Yep. 20, Agenda 2030 now. Yep. Yep. I mean, it seems like a very real possibility. I mean, if that's – if if we're – if if one were to make the assumption that that's the end result, like the collapse of America, the one world government, right? Like America needs to fall in order for that to happen, right? And and uh, and, and and then by by domino effect, you know, all, all the other Western countries will 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 just fall along with it, and uh, and that seems like this seems like the most logical solution. So I don't know. You see, the 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 reason I'm. I'm finding this in, intriguing is that um, I didn't want to make uh, this. There's, there's just so many YouTube videos out there now. Mm. Um, people can't watch them all and they can't watch all of them all. If you, if you see what I mean, I wanted to get that thing out about saying to people, please don't vote. 
Something I, I did want to say to you three in particular is that, you know, I, I did put it in my movie that this whole thing could end with your elite, with your ruling class, using a nuclear weapon against their own people. There was a time, maybe even as little as 20 years ago, when people would have instantly dismissed that and said, oh, come on, <laughs> things could never get that bad. But look how bad they are now. Everybody is walking around in a face mask. There's all these that you can't go to a football game, baseball game, can't go to a restaurant, all the pubs are closing. People are seeing with their own eyes the meltdown of Western civilization and the meltdown of, of America. And the reason that we're seeing this is because of what's going on with Prince Andrew uh, in particular. Finally, one of the absolute top dogs has been caught with his pants down. He's made an absolute ass of himself with that interview where he just looks like a complete fool. And because of that, they've got round their Bilderberg table or something like that. And the, and the establishment have said to themselves, look, we've got to do something here. We've got to put society right around the world into suspended animation because they're getting too close to seeing what we really are and coming to take us over. Now, I, recently, uh, I was out um, having a very pleasant evening uh, walking along the, the river that's near to my house. I was mentioning this to Ed just before the broadcast. And I met this uh, very nice lady, young lady uh, from Liverpool. And she was asking me to try and explain this to her. And I said to her, and your, your audience, your viewers might, might want to do the same thing, that if you, if you look at the movie uh, 13 Days, the Kevin Costner movie, that's a very good insight when they start to discuss what to do about the Cuban Missile Crisis, when they first discover that the Cubans have brought uh, ICBMs into, into Cuba, the thing is that uh, Robert, Robert McNamara, the uh, Secretary of, of Defense, he had to start negotiating with uh, Robert Kennedy in particular, and his, obviously his brother, the president. What the hell are we, are we going to do about this? And it's at that stage that you learn just what the ruling class are like about always being prepared. This is why they always say, you don't ever get caught with your pants down. It's the, it's the saying amongst the ruling class. You just, you just don't do it. That's why, that's why I'm, I'm not saying they've abandoned, but that's why Prince Andrew is in the, in the situation that he's in now, because he's being caught with his pants down. And as, as I say in the movie, Robert Kennedy is saying, look, we're in real trouble here. If those missiles get fired, we've got five minutes. What are we going to do? And, of course, the generals like Curtis LeMay, they just want to bomb the shit out of them. That's the best way. Come on, Mr. President, you've got to be a man, da-da-da. And Kennedy doesn't want to do that because he's going to escalate the situation. So he wants another alternative, another alternative, another alternative. And that's when Robert McNamara starts to, <clears throat> starts to explain how they gamed out scenarios long before this crisis ever happened. Because that's what they do at the top of the military. They say to themselves, supposing this happens, 
How do we counter it? Supposing then that happens afterwards, how do we counter that? Supposing we have that unexpected thing happen, do we do that or that? See, this is what the military do, and that's what the rich are. They're, they are a military class, you see. So, like I say, Robert McNamara, in the end, he had advised the, the blockade of Cuba. The point is that they are always ready with something. They're always ready with a contingency. And what they've done, when Prince Andrew had that you know, horror show with the BBC's Emily Maynard, they've said to themselves, look, we've got to put the whole of society into suspended animation. And that's what this pandemic is really all about. It's a man-created pandemic. And that's, yeah. it's, it's to keep all of us held in one place <clears throat> while they think about what the hell they're going to do next. And this will not end until this whole Prince Andrew thing is no longer in the news, until this child abuse thing and, and the sex trafficking thing goes out altogether. We won't, you know, uh, hear the end of this. This whole thing with um, Ghislaine Maxwell, um, there's something, if you don't mind, I'd like to ex explain um, about that, if, if, if you don't mind me going into that. Yeah, of course not. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah let's do course. it. Let's do it. The thing is that um, the Americans, your, your people, will have started hearing about Robert Maxwell, her father. And because he was here and not there, I, I think, you know, it's, it's probably going to be pretty sketchy as to, you know, who this man was and what he was, what he did, etc. So there's, there's just a, something, I'd, a bit of detail here, <clears throat> which I'd like to fill in. This man was apparently born, and I've, <laughs> I've been trying <laughs> to remember this name all week. I can't do it, okay? <laughs> I've yeah. had to write it down. Because his name, apparently, at birth, was Jan Ludwig Hyman Binyamin Hoag. Now, you couldn't remember that. <laughs> I mean, come on. And the story was that he was born in the Ukraine, just about on where the border is now, joined the Czechoslovakian army with the outbreak of World War II, fought for the Czechoslovakian army in exile, and apparently was this brave and amazing soldier who was part of the Allied effort in World War II, and because of that, he went up in the rankings. And because of that, because he ended the war as a hero, he was able to get into business very easy and become a media mogul. Now, I think that's a pilot tripe. I don't believe a word of that. This is, an, I think, another rich man's trick. <clears throat> now, people might say, well, why don't you believe it? Well, I will explain why. Because if you are from the Ukraine, or if you come from Russia, or anywhere in Eastern Europe, then you always, if you speak like this for the first 20 years of your life, you cannot get rid of this dialect. They can't do it. They cannot do it. You mean anybody from Russia or Romania, Poland, anywhere. That's the way they speak. They can't get rid of that hard edge and this guttural thing. It's so much in their voice. You know, Robert Maxwell, on the other hand, 
I'll try and do my Robert Maxwell impression. If you can imagine a man growing up on an English stage and speaking Shakespeare from the age of two, that was how he really spoke. He really did. He sounded like he'd had elocution lessons in English as an Englishman from the day he was born. This huge fat man with his big black eyebrows and his big black hair. He apparently used to dye his hair all the time. And to me, it was it's it's just so obvious that he's been born into an intelligence agency surrounding from day one. The question is, which intelligence agency? Because apparently he had intelligence contacts with the KGB, the CIA, MI5, and the Mossad. Now, if you're thinking that's pretty incredible, and I'm sure that your audience will be, and thinking, well, how could anybody do that? Something that they need to know is that Alan Dulles, the man who I talk about in my film, who was, I think was very much involved in the Kennedy plot, he himself was known as Cicero because he, or, or Five Fingers, as he was known, he was very much the same kind of character. So I think that Robert Maxwell has been from the very beginning something created by the intelligence community, mainly the Israeli intelligence community. A lot of people are quite rightly saying that um, Ghislaine Maxwell is her father's daughter, you know. It's very obvious that she's every bit a, a crook. And the reason that they say that is that, um, oh, damn, we've lost this. Now it's frozen up again. Robert Maxwell, um, as I say, I, I think he was a, well, it's absolutely obvious that he was an intelligence agent. Yeah. And I think Americans are now aware that he, of, of his story being that um, he wound up um, go, you know, getting deeper and deeper and deeper into debt. His businesses were failing. He owned all of these newspapers, and basically they just weren't selling. And his his story allegedly ended when um, he fell off his yacht uh, when he was in the Canary Islands, I think, which was called the Gislaine, by the way, the Lady Gislaine. Wow. And he, and he was buried in Israel. And a lot of people made a lot of the fact that there were six different heads of the Mossad who came to his funeral, you see. So there was this big mystery left. Uh, I myself have never believed for one second that that death was real. I don't believe that for a second. I think the funeral was faked mm. and that he was just conveniently made to disappear yeah. because... He was a bankrupt who owed, you know, billions and whatnot. The most important thing to to come out of that, or, or, or I should say that, you know, if anybody was to say, what was it all about? What was his life all about? And what was the most specific end result of what he did? The most specific end result of what he did was that the pension funds 
of the people who worked <clears throat> for him in the newspaper industry were stolen. And in those days, the half billion pounds that he stole, that was a lot of money back in the 80s. That was serious. Yeah. So basically, I think that what he pulled off with this fake suicide or this fake death, whatever you, you want to call it, was just the most gargantuan scam. And I hope that Americans will um, look at this and look back into the past and study the Reagan-Bush savings and loan scandal. Mm. I think they're very similar. I think that that's what's happened in, in, in both cases. I think I, These people pride themselves on being robber barons. Absolutely. Yeah. They look at life and say, well, okay, somebody's made a movie over here, like Spielberg has made four billion from ET or, or, or something like that. And unless you're one of them, and you know, <laughs> Spielberg obviously is, um, then they're, they're going to steal the money. That's what they're all about. They're robber barons. That's you know their ancestors were were robber barons, and I think that that's what Robert Maxwell's life really has has all been about. That he, uh, I lost you for a second there, but you're but you're back again now. It's okay. Okay. Um, that that's what his life has really all been about. So this is the background that Ghislaine Maxwell comes from. This is this is her inheritance, as it were. Mm -hmm. Sure. Mm -hmm. And it's all too neat that people have learned that Ghislaine Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein were working for the Mossad and for the intelligence community of your country and mine mm -hmm. as well. And this, you see, is what is getting to me about this whole thing with Ghislaine Maxwell and the trial and the depositions and, and one thing and another. It's um, because... The, as you said about the sexual blackmail earlier, Ed, that's really what it's all been about. And this is what I fear will be will be either glossed over or they just won't allow people to talk about it uh, during the, the, the trial. In my film, there's that moment um, from the, those Senate hearings where they're talking uh, you know, about Operation Mockingbird. Yep, and yep. as soon as it gets to... The moment where the chairman is saying, has the Central Intelligence Agency ever been actively involved with television networks? And he immediately says, ah, ah, no, 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 no. Uh, Mr. Chairman, we really have to get into executive session with this. We yep, can't have absolutely. the hearing this. And this is what I fear is, is going to happen with sure. uh, this whole thing with uh, Gisley and Maxwell. Having said that, and I'm sorry I'm not finished, but I, I think it's important for people to hear You're this. You're great. You're great. I don't believe Gisley Maxwell is in jail. Yeah. Sure. I don't believe that. I think I don't think so either. Well, thank you, man, because I think that this is something they've created to get regain control of the narrative. First of all, <laughs> where was she found? In a place called <laughs> totally. Tucked Away. I mean, Ed, yeah. <laughs> you've got a beautiful smile too. I mean, <laughs> come on. 
Yeah, totally ridiculous. Are we grown-ups? How many grown-ups are out there who are watching this? Does anybody really believe that? I mean, if that's not a script that's being written by an intelligence yeah. agent, then I don't know what would be. And there have been many people, I'm not the only man at all who's been saying this. There have been many people who've looked at this and they've said, now just hang on a minute, something smells fishy here. Because if you think back to, oh, good examples, I mean, Mike Tyson's arrest, if you think back to uh, Winona Ryder, if you think back to O.J. Simpson, I mean, my, my God, the O.J. Simpson, that was the classic example. There's usually some film of the big arrest. You know, it, the FBI yeah. have got them, and here's the handcuffs. And they're pushing the head down into the nice FBI car, and you're, you're going yeah. off to, to prison. Well, there's none of that. Even if it's filmed through you know, the bars of a gate or something. They usually have got a celebrity arrest, you know, sure. on on camera. None of that at all. And as many people pointed out, that there's no mugshot yeah. Yep. at all. So the kind of people who were looking, you know, who were thinking these thoughts, they wondered, is it possible to check out if somebody in your country is incarcerated, and if so, how. And there's a website. I've used it myself. It's called something like uh, lockedup.com or, or something. Mm -hmm. I didn't, it didn't take me long to find it. Sure. Anybody who's curious about this, uh, in, uh, you know, on your side of the water, if you just put in how can I find out that if my relative is locked up in America, you soon yeah. find the site. It's not hard. And yeah. when researchers first tried this, and they put Ghislaine Maxwell's name into, you know, MDC, da, da, da. nothing came up. Yeah, yeah. Now, they've closed that loophole since. I've tried it myself, and her prison number comes up now. Yeah, yeah. because I'm researching it. Now, sure, sure, sure. Now it comes up. <laughs> but as I say, all of these things, well, when the arraignment was going to happen, I wrote to uh, Alison J. Nathan, the judge, and said, listen, come on. This is the biggest thing ever. I mean, everybody's talking about this. Yeah. Is, is there going to be any TV cameras, et cetera, et cetera? And it came out that there was supposed to be a live feed that was going to happen. You could see in real time, cameras in the courtroom, and she was going to be dragged in and, and, and arraigned. And it just didn't happen. We got yeah. this colored drawing instead. But the thing that has convinced me most has been Sean Atwood. Okay. I do not trust Sean Atwood. Okay, I've heard, I've heard, I've heard some people questioning him too. I've heard some people, I've heard some people, some sort of skepticism. Although he has been doing the most, uh, you know, coverage into the Epstein. He's been doing a lot of coverage into the Epstein Maxwell thing. He has, thing. He has. But, you know, yeah. it's very easy to go on and on, and on calling calling Prince Andrew a cockroach. But the thing that I, I that that got me was that he had this lady on who brought this up. And when she brought it up, the fact that people had researched her prison number and hadn't was found this, it. Uh, was this uh, Maria Farmer or, or was no, one of the no, victims no, or another no, researcher? No, it was an English lady. I, I can't remember okay. her, her name. I hope she'll forgive me because she's, quite, she's uh -huh. quite well known. But um, like I say, when she put this to Sean Atwood, yes. the length of time that he spent on smoothing this over Oh, I okay. found very suspicious because what he was saying, and I'll, I'll say it in like a few seconds, 
was basically this is happening during COVID, and because it's COVID, it's chaos in the jails. And because it's chaos in the prisons and one thing and another, and everybody's got to wear a mask, et cetera, et cetera, that's why you know this this hasn't been as well uh, coordinated with uh, Ghislaine Maxwell as it should have been. Well, that's bollocks. That is pure bollocks. She is the most, or should be, the most famous prisoner in the world, maybe of all time. I mean, come on. Everybody wants to know about this case. And yet we have still not seen one single fragment of solid evidence, solid evidence. That she's incarcerated. That she's incarcerated. Yeah. And I don't believe it. I think they've done this to try and regain control of the narrative. What do you think? Well, I think there's. I mean, Whitney Webb's looked into this uh, a lot, and she. I mean, right from the start, just the charges brought against her were bogus right off the bat. I mean, they they picked just this little period of time that they were going to say she was guilty for, and they weren't. They weren't actually child trafficking charges, weren't they? They were no, uh, like- just. The, endangerment was it? What were the charges they used? I mean, just yeah. right off the bat, it just looks suspicious. I, I completely agree. You know, and they and they used it. It was like between 1994 to 1997 or something like that to to verify that it wasn't during a period of time that would implicate anybody with of any serious stature, like Prince Andrew, yeah. right? So it was supposedly before the time frame in which they allegedly had interactions with Prince Andrew, so that he wouldn't be pulled into the investigation. You know what I mean? So that the charges are very specific to a very short period of time. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, I think it's also very interesting to point out too, like, like, like you mentioned in your, in your film, like it's, it's, uh, the naivety of people to think that there's ever going to be anything that will come out of any of these official investigations because yeah. the people doing yeah. the investigations are complicit in all of this stuff, <laughs> exactly. you know? Yeah. So there's, that's not, that's not the said. Beautifully yeah. said. This is about brushing it under the rug. Yeah. This is about controlling the narrative, just like you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's 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 frightening, you know. It's frightening. It makes you feel so helpless. Like when you see things like, uh, you know, just Jeffrey Epstein just being killed, just straight up, you know, in, in a maximum security facility. Like it just makes the helplessness that you feel. It's just like wow, you know. Uh, another thing, like you said in your film too, um, you know, everything's a rich man's trick. And I love how you just listed all the different ones: the criminal justice system. There's one law for the rich and one law for the rest of us. Yeah. Right. Well, look, um, look at the thing with Prince Andrew. I mean, how yeah. can I have been writing to uh, our Home Secretary, Priti Patel. It, that's P-R-I-T-I in case anybody's wondering, but she's not called Priti. Priti, it's an Indian name. Uh, I've yeah. been writing to her several times to say, listen, you know, we've got this mutual legal agreement. I don't know if you've heard about this. Uh, it's been a big story here. Uh, there's this mutual legal agreement between Britain and the United States. To basically just help each other in, in difficult cases. And the Americans, uh, the American law office, had asked specifically, you know, this prince, you won't cooperate. Will you help us with this? Because it was perfectly possible to have uh, our home office, our justice system, say to Prince Andrew, well, you've got to come to... To, to be in front of a, a magistrate in Westminster. And I actually, funnily enough, would have preferred that. A lot of people have said he should be extradited to America. But I actually think it would have been better if he hadn't have been, because if he was in front of a magistrate in Westminster, he wouldn't be able to take the Fifth Amendment. He could in your country, you see. So mm. <laughs> if he was in front of a Westminster magistrate, 
giving evidence. He really would be in so much trouble because one lie, and he's guilty of perjury. Yeah. yeah. And, and then that, you know, the shit really has hit the fan, as they say in your mm -hmm. country. So, and, yeah. and yet, you know, still, I mean, Pretty Patel knew everybody was asking this question. And her her response was, "Oh, um, we prefer not to get involved in this kind of thing, you know. <laughs> if we can help, oh well, is that convenient or what? Yeah, and, yeah, absolutely. And I want it as a matter of record as well with the three of you. I've also written to the uh, head of the opposition here in Britain, whose name now is Keir Starmer." Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that he did say on this um, quite well-known thing we have here called LBC Radio, Leading Britain's Conversation is what it's called. Mm. He, uh, Keir Starmer, when he was interviewed, he did say, well, Prince Andrew, yes, he, he should be cooperating with the law. Well, he isn't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, Mr. Starmer, what are you doing about it? I've written to you about this. Have you put pressure on the Conservative Home Secretary to make something happen? No, he hasn't. Now, people may wonder why. Well, I'll tell you why. Uh, during the time that Jimmy Savile was committing his crimes, many people many times tried to bring his crimes to light and tried to get him prosecuted. And every single time, what we call the Crown Prosecution Service here, the CPS, refused to look into it. Yep. Guess who I was the head of the CPS who? during this time? Keir Starmer. Wow. Oh. Yeah, that's, that's definitely on my list of things that I wanted to bring up with you is the whole uh, Jimmy Savile uh, thing. You know, I, uh, I, I know that, you know, a lot of people listening probably are really familiar with it, but I bet you there's a large portion of the audience that maybe has never even heard the name before. Um, yeah, and I know that it's kind of back to square because, one, yeah. but yeah. I would love to hear kind of your, your being over there. You know, I think that, uh, just being in, in England, like you probably have a much different maybe take on it than we do. And I'd love to hear, uh, kind of what, like, how long have you known about Jimmy Savile before, before it came up or was it, you know, I'm just, just, just maybe shed some light on this. Well, Scott, the, the thing I'll, I'd best say at the very start is that what I want people to realize about the whole Jimmy Savile situation is that the establishment is Jimmy Savile. Yeah. Yes. Let me get that sentence blandly out in one nice little thing, you see. Because um, in the days when you were, I mean, we're going right back to the beginning of the 60s. Um, I can't even, what was the name of that show? It, it's gone. But there, there were... Top of the Pops. You know, well, the, the thing is that America had its... Its own thing, you know. Okay. It, it had its own shows. It had its own stars. It had its yeah. own presenters. And like I say, it's it's going all the way back to the, the the beginning of Top of the Pops. Jimmy Savile was there from the very beginning, <clears throat> so he was a face on British TV. I'm mm -hmm. trying to think of who um, an an equivalent would be, really. Like uh, Dick uh, Clark, uh, Ryan Seacrest, that sort of thing. Well. The, the thing is, if if you can think of somebody from uh, you know the, the the '60s whose face was always associated with with pop music, that was what Jimmy Savile was. Yeah, yeah. And he was known to the public as an eccentric 
and a bullion figure in mm. those days. And for, well, I would say the uh, long first 10 years, or even more, of his broadcasting career, all he did, Scott, was top of the pops. That, 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 yeah. that was it. That was the only way we saw him. And nobody had a clue what he was up to in those days. And then he was given his own show, which was called Jim Will Fix It. Yeah. And this is what I mean about the establishment being Jimmy Savile, because the way he was presented to the public was as an avuncular figure. What he was doing was he was inviting children to write into him and say, what is your, what's your dream? What would you like to do? Would you like to play football with Liverpool Football Club, those stars? Would you like to sing with your favourite pop group? A lot of children wanted to do that. He, he was apparently trying to make all these children's dreams come true. And because of that, the establishment was presenting him as something not very far away from being a saint. And this was a man who was having sex with the dead, mm -hmm. who was having sex with people who were close to death in hospitals, people, women who were dying, children who were dying. He was doing it with them. He was in necrophilia. He was into all of these things. And at the same time, he was abusing little girl after little girl after little girl after little girl and sharing them around with the rich. And the thing is, this is the most important thing to realize with this is that the establishment want you to know about Jeffrey Epstein. Mm -hmm. They want you to know about Jimmy Savile if things blow up, you see, because that's why they find them in the first place. What you have to do is say, why did Jimmy, why was it, why Jimmy Savile? Why him? Out of all of the men in Britain at that time, why would he get that prime job of hosting Top of the Pops? Why him? He got that job because he, he could not. He was like Joe McCarthy, <clears throat> your senator who had the Reds under the bed scandal. Mm. They, they seek out men who have got a problem. They can't yeah. keep their hands off women. They can't keep their hands off girls. Quite often, they can't stay away from the bottle, can't stay away from drugs, combination of all of them. But this is what they look for is these kinds of characters because – this, they're being set up from the beginning as a fall guy. Yeah. If it comes mm -hmm. out what's going on, what the establishment do then with their corrupt mainstream media is to say, oh, my God, there's all these little girls have been abused and there's all these women coming forward now 10 years later saying, oh, I was raped, I was abused, I was this, I was this. And they say, and it was him. It was, it was Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah. It was Jimmy mm -hmm. Savile. It was, and not Prince Philip, not sure. Prince Andrew. They get away with it. That's Absolutely. That, that's the whole point. And this is the main thing, Scotland. Thank you for the for the question that I want people to understand. Is that this is really what it's all about? The the people at the top are exactly like the mafia don who hires a killer bambini. He gets a fourteen year old to shoot his business rival. It's exactly the same thing. They make sure with their money that somebody else takes the blame, that somebody else goes to jail. 
And this is why, with this whole Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell thing, that I fear that if, you know, let's say I'm wrong because I would be loved, I'd love to be proved wrong. I would love yeah. to be proved wrong. There's nothing I'd like better than to see Ghislaine Maxwell being dragged into court looking just like Jeffrey Dahmer with a yeah. suit on and the handcuffs and one thing or another. And 30, 50, 100 odd women saying, that woman abused me along with Jeffrey Epstein when I was a child. There's nothing I would like more than that. I just don't think that it's going to happen. But as, as I say, if, if it ever did, my big problem is that I, I think you could almost imagine a, a scenario in a courtroom where you would have the, the trial going on and it would look just like those Senate hearings in, into Operation Mockingbird, whereby the moment anything came up that could implicate the Queen of England or Donald Trump or Bill Clinton or Alan Dershowitz or any of these high-profile figures, the moment anything looked like it was going to lead over there, okay, there's, there's going to be a government, uh, government advisor saying, oh, no, 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 Your Honour, can't talk about this. Yeah. This is a national security issue. How in the <laughs> hell can it be a national... How in the yeah. hell can, is, is the type of strap-on dildo favoured by... Ghislaine Maxwell, supposed to be an issue of national security. How in the hell is it an issue of national security that Ghislaine Maxwell has got a laundry basket full of sex toys? Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, a couple of things come to mind when, when, like, when you mention that particular aspect of it. Um, it's just like these uh, Senate hearings regarding like the big tech and yeah. the censorship <laughs> issues that we're seeing right now. So you see, you know, Theater. them sitting down. Uh, being grilled by U.S. senators, right? We have like Sundar Pichai, the Google uh, head of Google, Mark Zuckerberg, um, Jack Dorsey sitting down and being grilled about their business practices, which are so like just like evil, not only unconstitutional, unethical and 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 yeah. all that stuff and evil, but it's literally just a dog and pony show because like, you know, yeah. whether you're Mark Zuckerberg or Jack Dorsey, you're just looking back at these senators like, fool, I own you. What are you doing? You know what I mean? Like they, there's 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 just nothing but there's disdain no and just like they're just like whatever. And they just straight lie. Like like Zuckerberg, like he said, um, they asked him about censoring a particular that that article about Biden's laptop. And he says, oh, no, 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 no. We didn't censor it. We just, uh, you know, flagged it and and uh, made it so that it wouldn't uh, spread as much, you know, wouldn't spread like, widely, it wouldn't spread widely. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, okay. In other words, you censored it. Right. But anyway, um, so this whole thing is just a farce, right? I, I feel like that's one of the biggest failures that we're seeing right now is the fact that we're just allowing these, these tech companies to just control the narrative and to absolutely, um, Oh, it's just so bad. It's, it's so it's, bad. It's I, the media. They're just the new form of media, and yeah. they're doing the same thing the media has always done. Yeah, is yeah, yeah, control yeah. the narrative to yep. lie to us. You know, yep. right? which is another rich man's trick, right there. Yeah. Yep. How is the? I know that uh, like Channel Four, BBC. You know, these are these are your your guys' big media outlets. Like, what are you seeing over there in terms of um, how are they spinning what we're seeing in the world? Like, is is it just as blatant as what we're seeing over here with our CNNs and MSNBCs and Foxes and? I've, I've, I mean, I've been wrestling this w with this myself. There's, there's a very important question in modern media life now <laughs> as to whether they are wicked, wicked or stupid. Ah, yes. <laughs> whether they're part of it or whether they're just dumb. It's, it's, a, it's a very good question. I'm sure a lot of your audience 
will have pondered this for themselves. And I can see that you have. Uh, you know, yeah. people are always thinking of this. Sure. I think one, one thing I, I, I might mention is a broadcaster called Philip Tibbenham, mm. who used to be on BBC Two. Interestingly, he disappeared um, just after the, the 9-11 thing, but he was the anchor on what we call BBC Two Newsnight on the night that it happened. And like I say, not too long after, suddenly he was, his broadcasting career was over and he disappeared. And there was a man who would have been a lot like yourselves, who <clears throat> was curious as to what role the mainstream media played. Were they part of it? Or were they just stupid and reading things off an order queue? <laughs> and he found <clears throat> Philip Tibbenham in his local pub or something, and he, he filmed him pretty well on this uh, handheld camera. And he was asking Philip Tibbenham about that night and, you know, what did happen and what did you think was going on? What, what, what did you imagine was going on? You know, this planes in the building thing story that you... And, and <laughs> the impression that I got from Philip Tibbenham was that he was just what we call thick. <laughs> over, over in your country, it's dumb, you know, whatever. But he didn't seem to me, honestly, to have any brains at all. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you see, once the it was becoming obvious that the rich elite had pretty much bought the whole of mainstream television and film around the world. Yeah. The good people here in Britain started to leave. They could see the way that things were going. That you know, the handwriting was on the wall. I met several who'd been very, very high-level, important um, independent producers who were making films for BBC, ITV, Channel Four, etc. And had conversations with a lot of them, and, and they were all saying, you know. We've just never seen anything like this before. We keep asking for commissions to look into really important topics, really important issues, things which 10 years ago would have been covered. And then they're not they're not doing it anymore. We don't like the way that, that, that this is going. So I think what is true about mainstream media here right now is that it's populated pretty much by deadwood. Mm. The only people who have stayed are people who are very old, getting, you know, late 50s, early 60s even, who've been in, in broadcasting all their life. And not that they've ever had any talent, but ta talent, but they can't do anything else. And they're basically just coming to the end of their careers. And the only young people who they're bringing into broadcasting are young people who are pretty much witless. So... You've got this rather um, odd combination in um, particularly British television now. Yeah. There's no talent. There's, the BBC these days never, ever produces a new idea. They've got no ideas. They, they don't even take a new approach. This is the TV service, which in the 1970s, and I discussed this with Jason Goodman, and I was very – well, proud almost to hear him saying, well, yeah, you know, in the 60s, 70s, right up into the 80s, 
it was acknowledged by just about everybody that, you know, the British filmmakers, British TV producers were by far and away the greatest in the world. And if you wanted a good film making for TV or for anywhere else, good documentary, you had to go and seek out a Brit in order to, make, you know, to ensure that quality standard. That's all gone now. This mm, this yeah. whole thing, you know, th th this whole era has has taken that away, and we're we're left pretty much with I've got to say witless morons because the the standards have just dropped and dropped and dropped and dropped and dropped, and you know, but if the question was how many of them actually know that they've become just a cog in a propaganda machine. Yeah, how totally. Many, how many of them are aware that everything they do is fake news? Yeah. <laughs> it, I would say maybe as much as I think 60 or 70% of them are so dumb, they really don't understand what's going on. Well, I mean, yeah, when you get like the, the, what, the Cuomo's, Chris Cuomo's, yeah, just totally dumb. He doesn't know what he's about. No, I'm just kidding. No, no, they're deeply entrenched. But like here in America, though, I think uh, uh, it's, it's a lot more uh, deliberate, I think. You know, you have a lot of these folks that are literally brought up into it, like the sure. Rachel Maddow's, you know, she's a Rhodes Scholar, the whole, that whole thing, the very nefarious ties there. Um, and then uh, we have like, like, uh, What's his face? Anderson Cooper, right? Anderson Cooper, who actually went yeah. to the Dalton School, you know, where Jeffrey Epstein <laughs> used to teach. So he, he, there? he went to the Dalton School and then he got uh, he, I he, find he that amusing. Yep, interned at the CIA. Um, <laughs> and so like and and a Vanderbilt heir, the Vanderbilt family, you know what I mean? Like it's just like I think, you know, in that case, he's just brought up totally, into it, right? Totally. He was just been he's been MK Ultra'd into that position since he was a little kid, I would say. Yeah. You know, um, so I think the American media is so deliberate. But it's, then we have the other yeah. side of it, though. Yeah. I mean, they look at like what's going on with coronavirus and all, and all this nonsense, yeah. and it's um, I mean, sixty percent of our our cable TV media is is the advertisements are big pharma. Mm -hmm. So you know they're they're going along with with the narrative. They've not to mention, I mean, that they've the education systems taught them this way right from the get go. So so they're they're just following following orders. You know, you cannot go against the narrative that's being given right now without losing your credentials or, you know, you're going to be taking off the air. And I mean, doctors are going to lose their credentials. I mean, it's, it's a system that's set up. You have to kind of follow the narrative, you know? So, I mean, people are, people are doing what they, they have to do to, to, to keep their jobs really, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, that's the sadness of it. It, it is, the, you know, yes, you can understand, especially somebody nearing retirement, why they would, just want to plod along and and keep their salary, but it is those kinds of people who the oligarchs depend on upon the most. Absolutely, yeah, and, and and it is just well, it's it, maybe it's an impossible situation, but you know, <clears throat> I mean, getting through to these people, I don't know if it's I don't know if it is possible. I don't know either. Yeah. I don't know. It's definitely not in their best interest. Like it's, it's all just, uh, they've got them wrapped up, man. Um, oh, damn. it's frozen up again. Man. So, uh, there, I mean, I have a list of stuff from the movie that I would love to talk about. Yes. You know, I think one of the most, uh, one of the things that stands out the most, and we've kind of 
dived into this a little bit in previous episodes is just the the American uh, uh, Nazi connections, right? We we did a whole episode uh, exploring you know eugenics and how like the American eugenics movement had was yeah. basically the inspiration for uh, Germany's early. Uh, you know, uh, sterilization programs under like yes, Ernst Rudin Scott, and all thank that. Thank you for bringing that up because yeah. an awful yeah. lot of people, and I don't just mean Americans. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say that generally speaking, the world yeah. does not know that yeah. eugenics began with rich Americans and not yeah. with yep. the Nazis. Hundred percent, right? For sure. Very important point. Yeah, and, and, and I just wanted to, people to to know yeah, that, and they, because yep. everybody should that should be you see studied in school. Yeah, one hundred percent, and it isn't. Yeah, I didn't learn about it until just this last year, pretty much, and yeah. it's it's so insane. And then then your movie in particular, um, it just makes all these connections, and and in our research too, like all the same names, all the same characters, Prescott Bush, um, the Harriman brothers, you know, the like Harriman. these are all the same names that are popping up. Like whether you're talking eugenics, in fact, the Harriman brothers are the ones that financed to have Ernst Rudin come over, where he was declared, he was voted unanimously as the uh, president of the International Eugenics Conference. I can't remember the exact name of the con the 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 committee, but you know, they were all involved in, uh, you know, funding it, you know, from the very get go. And, and now you see uh, that it's the same characters that are involved in like the Kennedy assassination. It's just like, exactly. so in the enmeshment between these characters, uh, between Nazi Germany and the United States during that time are just so incredibly shocking, you know, good for uh, you. Scott. Good for you. You've yeah. done your homework, my friend. Yeah. You, you see, oh, yeah. this, this Scott is the kind of thing that I was researching myself. Oh, more than 30 years ago. And yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was this kind of train of thought that, that you know, really led to my movie. You know, it was, mm -hmm. it was finding out things like that about eugenics and finding out the mentality of the American oligarch. Um, I, I was just having a, a conversation. Well, I, I was emailing uh, Chris Milligan back and forward mm -hmm. yesterday. And we've got an announcement to say to the world in a minute. <laughs> Good, awesome. Uh, yeah, but, um, but uh, he, he there was something um, that he, uh, he he was pulling me up on about uh, Simeon Eben Baldwin, who was uh, you know the, in the list of the Skull and Bones uh, okay. members. Yeah, I, I think you probably remember that bit from the the, the film. Yep. And it meant that I had to look up his uh, Wikipedia page, which, funnily enough, I hadn't done before. I researched uh, Baldwin on some other um, site. So I had to pull up his uh, Wikipedia page. Uh, and it was very re refreshing <laughs> to discover that th this is a man who was uh, Chief Justice in uh, Connecticut in 1910. And in 1910, he was still absolutely in favor of whipping and castration for criminals. Okay, yeah, yeah. Nice yeah. one. Yeah. There's uh, the skull and bones for you. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 skull and bones, man. Like oh, man. The, 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 the brothers under skin, right? You know, they yeah. have allegiance to themselves above all else, right? And then it's just so... Uh, Again, everything's a rich man's trick, like the 2000 election where you have two fellow bonesmen <laughs> running against each other, exactly. John Kerry and George W. Bush. It's like, yeah. okay, yeah. Yeah, I see, that was way before I woke up, right? 
you know, I remember, gosh, I didn't like after nine 11, like we talk about this a lot on the show, you know, nine 11 was a huge part, like way down the line, uh, of us waking up. But at first, man, I was so duped. I was like, you know, yeah, I was a younger man back then, but like, still I was like, yes, we need to go get these terrorists. They hate our freedom. You know, it's just like, Oh my God, looking back, I'm so embarrassed, but, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, but now, uh, you know, that was basically the catalyst for, for me personally waking up quite a bit. Um, I think a lot of people too, um, a couple of other things too. Uh, you know, I think, uh, I had, I had a question for you. So we, I, I'm a big, you know, Megan too. When I first met Megan, she was like, she was like, uh, so I've been reading this book by a guy named Bill Cooper. And I was like, Whoa. This is the coolest chick I've ever met in my life. That's how we um, became really yeah, good that's friends, actually. Really good friends. <laughs> that's so, nice. uh, and so Bill Cooper, William Cooper, right? He uh, is is known for a lot of, uh, you know, he he. he uh, I, I've seen one of his lecture series where he has a different view about the Kennedy assassination, where his his assertion was that, uh, you know, it was the driver that turns around, and you can yeah. see in the video where he turns around and pulls the gun and goes like that. And so I've seen his lecture with the footage. Yeah. Um, of that. And then the other assertion being that, that what, what, what appears to be the gun is just the reflection off of the passenger's yeah, that's head. Just, that's uh, just classic disinformation. Yeah. yeah. And, and so that's the thing too, is, uh, uh I love your theory that, or not that the, 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 the way, the, what, the way you propose it in the movie is just, it makes no, it makes perfect sense. And it's something that I'd never really come across before. Um, the idea of there being so many different shooters on the tower, let alone, and then, and then the kill shot having come from the sewer, you know, and there's so many indications of that with the cop, uh, propping his motorcycle, like looking down in there, like, and, and it seems to make so much sense. Like it, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I was just wondering, like, do you have any views on, on Bill Cooper? I know that later in his life, he did backpedal on a lot of things, like particularly about aliens and stuff like that. There have been so many people who've yeah. tried um, to discredit uh, what I said. And there were so many people before my film came along yeah, who uh, were, you know, government-sponsored agents. That, oh, geez, uh, <laughs> when, when, when I was um, nearing the point of starting to write, mm -hmm. one of the websites that I looked at, uh, which which purported to be something that was trying to help the public mm -hmm. understand what went on. And really, it was, once again, totally the opposite. It's, it's another uh, smoke and mirrors <clears throat> website. And this one in particular, I remember, because it said, when you look at the Kennedy assassination and, and who did it and who was responsible, and it, it gave a list. And it said, these are all the possible culprits. And you could mm -hmm. have Oswald, you could have Oswald and Tibbet. You could have then another man. Or you could have the Cubans, or you could have the Russians, or you could have the... <laughs> and the list just goes on and on and on and on and on and on. And um, there was this uh, man who you, you've probably heard of, Josiah Thompson, mm. who was a, uh, a private detective. At the, uh, he was hired by the, the media. Um, and it's, it's interesting... Because this was a very bright man, and he did a, a, a great job. And he said that he had investigated in your country many, many murders. He'd had so many investigations of murders in your country. And he said that when you're an investigator, and he said you can ask any police detective about this, 
I think Ed knows exactly what I'm going to say here, that, that when you're really, truly a police detective looking into this kind of thing, what you always find with murders is the same thing. He said, if you go into it, it's okay, it's possible. She did it, maybe he did it, maybe it was the butler, maybe it was the limo driver, mm-hmm. maybe it was that Puerto Rican who they saw running away. So the investigation starts. And what always happens is that you find a piece of evidence, that one gets eliminated. You find another piece of evidence, that one gets eliminated. Bless you, Megan. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, And little by little, this happens. It it gets more until the day that you find out that his wife did it or his brother did it. What Josiah Thompson said, and he, he was so articulate in this, he said that, if you look at the Kennedy assassination, he said things haven't gotten simpler. And not only that, they haven't gotten simpler over the years. Mm-hmm. Over time, it's become more and more of a riddle, more and more complex, more and more difficult to understand. And when I heard that, I was so grateful. I, I, I saw that interview because quite clearly this was something someone was creating. Yeah. It had to be created. They were making it. There's there's a line, which I'm sure you remember in Oliver Stone's film, and this was this was why it was written. I think it's said by Joe Pesci where he says it's a riddle wrapped inside an enigma, wrapped inside mm. puzzles. Yeah, of course it is, yeah. because that's yeah. what the special intelligence agency wants. And when I first started this, because I was up against exactly the same problem as everybody else. Was it that one, that one, that one? Was it him? Was it her? Et cetera, et cetera. There's all this confusion. There's all this cloud, this mist that you're trying to look through to sort out fact from fiction. And I thought to myself, I know what this is about. What they want is for you to start investigating this. And as soon as you go there, he gives you 10 different versions of the same story. You ask her, you get 15 different versions of the same story. And then they contradict each other. And then somebody yeah. contradicts them. And it, you, you get into this riddle. And most people at that stage think, oh, what the hell? How can anybody yeah. ever? It's, this is impossible, you know? And mm-hmm. they go, mm-hmm. that's what they want. Yeah. You know, that's it's the, the same. The moment you accept it, they win. Yeah. And that's what I wasn't prepared to do. And for a very long period, I said to myself, I'm going to be the first man to get through all of this. Somehow I'm going to get this truth sorted out. And that's why it was such a moment of epiphany, talking about that drain thing. When, um, you know, I I came across that wonderful man, Robert D. Morningstar, who showed me the... The you know the comparison between I knew there was something there, it, but it was one of those things that was at the back of my head. You know, I knew there was something there with Tibbet and Kennedy. I just yeah. couldn't figure out what what, what it was. The and, body switch, right? Sorry, what is that? The body switch? Is that what well, you mean? The, the, the thing was that once I had got because I knew there was something wrong with the Tibbet funeral, and mm. people have asked me to prove this. And they've, they've, that piece of film, I can't find it anywhere now. It, it was a piece of archive film, which I, uh, was shot, I think, by ABC. But I remember the, the Tippett funeral from very, very long ago. 
you know, even maybe before I was a young man, maybe even as a teenager. But I remember specifically them saying there was something very strange about this whole affair. Why wouldn't they let his wife have one last look at him by opening the coffin? Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't mm -hmm. they do that? And why? And I remember the words like yesterday that he was buried with unseemly haste. Why, mm -hmm. do, why do you ever bury him? Why have you ever known a funeral? Yeah. With unseemly haste. It's, it's the old uh, it's the old trick where you throw Osama bin Laden over the the bow or over the bow of the ship, right? Before anybody finds out any different, right? Well, like I say, that that was that was what you know pushed me on to, and once I got that, you know, the 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 the, the Kennedy and and, and Tippett reality, that was what led to uh, everything. Then the the way that everything fell into place was, oh. Still makes me emotional. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty incredible. You know, obviously we're gonna encourage everybody to go back and watch your film yeah. for sure. Um, well, that, still I just just while I think about it because yeah. <laughs> I found something out uh, the other day talking yeah. about watching my movie. There's this lovely man uh, called Alexander Ravella. Uh, I'd like to give Alexander a little wave. Hello, Alexander. Shout but, out to Alexander. It, it, it's a lovely man. He's on Facebook. Oh, please tell everybody to write to him. He's a, he's a, he's a fantastic man. Uh, because he uploaded my film, and it's been the best uh, version, I would say, for people to look at, because the <clears throat> the public comments are the most uh, genuine. When people are not interfered with um, on the public comments of a, of a copy of my movie, what you get is people saying, oh, wow, uh, this should be seen in every history class in America. Yeah. This should, this should be screened everywhere. The whole world should see this movie. Da, 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 da. Yeah. On the original version, I explained this to Jason Goodman, what you had was people would say something like that, and then a shill would say below, oh, no, yeah. <laughs> it shouldn't be. <laughs> you know, it, yeah. it, oh, 100%. It, yep. You know, it, it was crazy. Well, uh, Alexander, I, I don't know if he, he wants to – upload it again or, or trying to do something about this but i've found the last few times that i've clicked on the version that he uploaded that if you, you click on it before the little bar gets across it automatically corrects to the next video mm. it won't let you watch it and the reason i find that interesting is that uh, uh, i think it was just yesterday um somewhere uh, I read that, that people have been putting my my name into Amazon, and if you put in my, I've I've never even looked at, at, at the Amazon website. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know anything about it. Uh -huh. They've said if you put Man. my name into Amazon and click on it, it automatically self-corrects to something else. You can't mm -hmm. even check me out for things I've written on Amazon. Wow, wow. they're the games that they're playing, Ed. Absolutely, absolutely. It, it doesn't. It doesn't surprise me. That's yeah. the, honestly yeah. in, in the world we're living in. Exactly. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. There's a couple more characters I wanted to kind of expound upon, and I think our, maybe our listeners would get a kick out of this. Um, so, who's Charles Harrelson? Who is Charles Harrelson? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, over here in America, you know, we have Woody Harrelson, right? And everyone, everyone's familiar with him. But uh, I was uh, always, you know, when I first came across this, I was really surprised to hear about uh, Charles Harrelson. <laughs> and his, Charles and his Do you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Woody, Woody Harrelson's father. 
Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's in he's in the movie. Um, this yeah. this is yeah. the man who um, was the shooter from the the fence. Yeah. And um, he was hired um, because he was friends with um, the, uh, the the chief mafia man in uh, Dallas at the time. And he had um, shot to death um, Judge John Wood, mm -hmm. who was known as Maximum John because he was really tough on criminals. And mm -hmm. that's why the mafia wanted him out of the way. Yeah. And, uh, and so the thing is that when you have oligarchs putting together a team to assassinate somebody, what they always want is something. I mean, it sounds stupid, doesn't it? It's just like every other job. You've got to have proved that you've done it before successfully. You see, mm. that's the oh. kind of people that they hire. They don't hire people who have been unsuccessful. Yeah. So, and that, and that's the the reason why are they hired? And he was the most important shooter, Malcolm Wallace. The yeah. reason that Malcolm Wallace was put up in the school book depository was in order to cover the contingency, which actually happened of the first shot missing. Because if, and, and it, the damn thing, my friends, is that if Kennedy, if, if the gods had been on Kennedy's side that day, this might have happened. Because that first bullet could have killed the driver mm. or it could at least have hit him. If it had hit him, Kennedy might have reacted much more quickly to the first shot and the thing was, they knew that this could happen, and they knew that he might get out of the car quick enough to avoid being hit. And that was why Malcolm Wallace was positioned almost directly up above him. Mm. So that it was most likely, you see, if he knew he was being shot at, that he would duck. If he ducked down in the car, Malcolm Wallace was the best shot, and he was the man who was supposed to get him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. Okay, so the next individual that I wanted to maybe talk about, I've heard other researchers talking about him recently, is uh, Ted Gunderson, um, the FBI guy who seems to yeah. have uh, exposed this all a long, long, long time ago. Yeah. Um, Finders cult, uh, the you know all, all that stuff. It seems like he he was the one that was originally. He's been talking about this for twenty, thirty, you know, twenty, thirty years ago, yeah. and uh, now it's all just come like you know basically vindicating what he was saying back then when they all thought he was crazy. Um, in terms of the the child trafficking and all this stuff, um, but he you mentioned him in your movie, and I was hoping maybe you could tell our audience a little bit about Ted Gunderson. Well, the, the most important thing about Ted Gunderson is is what you've already said. It's funny, Scott. Yeah. Somebody um, I was looking on the public comments um, today on one of the versions of my film in, in preparation for this, and um, the the. It was said when he died that he just he just died. But somebody wrote that they said, "I know Ted Gunderson's son. I'm mm. friends with him." And it it wasn't a natural death. He was murdered. You know, of course. It's, again, it's, 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 and he wasn't young, and yet they still took care of him. But like I say, that I'm I'm glad you brought that up because it's so obvious that what Ted Gunderson was trying to do, and I can make this one very short was to report the very things that we are now hearing about with yep. Jeffrey Epstein and the child yep. trafficking. And and as he said himself, somebody of his cred credibility? 
Somebody who was head of the FBI in, in, in such a, a huge region. And I mean, uh, some way he says, you know, I've got a budget of like $100 million a year or something that I'm responsible for. And I've got all these agents underneath me. And he's saying a man of my credibility. And I'm, and I'm shouting this as loudly as I can. And the entire American mainstream media is ignoring me completely. This is yeah. why I said at the very start. Yeah. The Americans will be crazy if they vote in this election. You have to have a complete root and branch overhaul of your yeah. country. If a car, say, is in a, such a bad state that it's hardly running because it needs a service, changing the driver <laughs> isn't going to help the car, for Christ's sake. If <laughs> the filters are clogged up, if the spark plugs are clogged up, if the engine oil needs changing, then it needs doing. You can't, you know, make a car better simply by changing the driver. You have to work on the car. And I do think, to, to take that point a bit further, and it's very, very true of my country as well, very, very mm. true of the whole Western world, I think, is that this digital age that's allowed people like us to, to do this. Sure really has changed life in the last 20 years so much that it's made most of what the past was look like an anachronism, particularly the royal family in Britain. It's just so obvious from Prince Andrew's behavior and from the way that people have reacted to his behavior that they are now absolutely useless, pointless, and we just shouldn't have them. And to the same degree, we shouldn't have the American ruling class. We shouldn't have the capitalist system that you're suffering under. Something I was wanting to bring up, and actually I wanted to direct this at Megan, because I was watching a video of Megan the other day, and this British woman was being asked on the street how much she thought Americans had to pay for health care. Because it's it, Americans have no idea of, of, of how you're perceived as this huge joke as a country when it comes to health care. Because in Europe, well, I think you know what we've got in Europe. And this woman who I think she, it was in London or Birmingham or, or somewhere, they said to her, how much do you think it costs a woman to have a baby in America? Megan, would you like to tell people the answer? Well, I guess that depends on where you have your baby in America. All my babies were born at home. Well, um, this and... is the point I wanted to make. <laughs> you see? And the, well, I'm not surprised to hear it because yeah, yeah. I want to use this broadcast to tell people the answer because it shocked the hell out of me just as much as that woman because what she was told was that basically it's like about $10,000. Um, to, well, to babies in the hospital, I think it's anywhere from about 15 to 30,000 hospital births, um, at least in cesarean, uh, cesarean sections are around 30, $35,000. And that's over 30% of all babies delivered yeah. in the United States are yeah. done so by cesarean section. So that's, um, it's, it's a huge cost, but just, you know, normal vaginal birth, uh, at least within the last five years, last time I checked, I think it like the average is around 12, 13 
thousand dollars to go have uh, to go do what your body's made to do, but to go and pretend that you're sick and in an emergent situation and have doctors rushing around and and interfering. I we can tell that I'm not very fond of hospital births, um, yeah. but I did not give birth to any of my children in a hospital, and I paid uh, you know like a few thousand dollars, and that included. I think my first child, I think I paid $3,500 and that included all of my maternity care, all of my vitamins, any blood work that I had done. Um, I had no intervention happening. You know, nobody took my baby out of my arms at birth. I wasn't having uh, ultrasounds and all kinds of, uh, you know, internal uh, physical exams and, um, you know, uh, all these different things that they would like to push. Um, I I had done my research ahead of time and I was not going to have any of that happen to me or my, my children. So I speak out pretty heavily against it. Is there, is there, I'm wondering if there's any statistics about how many American women have their babies at home just purely and simply to avoid the the cost. How do you know how many American women give birth at home? I don't know. I don't know offhand. I will say that um, I know it's a very small. It's percentage. very small. Like really, in the last twenty years in particular, I know this has been a huge war against uh, women having uh, informed um, consent in terms of just what their bodies are made to do, what happens to our bodies during pregnancy, what happens during labor and delivery, and what is natural. And I feel that uh, the propaganda that's come towards women less is, than one percent. It's yeah, it's less than one percent. Um, it is do, do what do. Uh, to to have home, bir- home, births. home births, home births, less than one percent. We're so, just looking so at it now. Ninety nine percent of American women are happy to pay between ten thousand and thirty thousand dollars, and be traumatized, child. have their children be hurt, um, have their uh, their rights and their and their processes be interfered with, um, and and traumatize these children. It's 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 so disgusting. It really, really is disgusting. They will pay a lot of money, and the truth is because they're just they're they're not informed. And and what has happened here, I know in in our state, but but nationally, is a huge push. Um, and uh, from a legal standpoint, that um, that women are not given the option to to labor and birth at home. That that is something that that really, and we can see this playing out with so many things. But it's the fear topic, right? It's not safe. You're not capable. Maybe your hips aren't wide enough. Maybe your baby won't be born whole and healthy, and or won't be born breathing. And you need you need obstetricians there to be able to cut that baby out of you in the eventuality that that you know 30% of the time that that needs to happen. And it's and it's absolute farce. But um, they they really make it uh, to be a scary thing. And it's like anything, women that, that question their doctors or, or even question, uh, like nurse midwives by and large, they're sold a horrific, uh, picture of fear. And so, yeah, they're willing to just fork that money out under the guise of being, being a safer, cleaner, better process. Um, and, and in fact, they're given exactly the opposite. So. And, and you know, the, the middle of the road with the, the midwife centers that who was, um, she was also told, and is, is this true, <laughs> that if, if say, Megan <laughs> was to faint right now and you, she passed out, you didn't know what was wrong with her, and you called an ambulance, two grand? Is that right? Oh yeah, at least, least at I least it's absolutely. Way more than that. I think it's yeah. at least I, five thousand for, for. It's I think it's about five thousand. The average ambulance run is that what you're asking? And I can say too, like any time that they have to come. Um, I, I had a little boy, uh, 
who was interestingly medically uh, intervened with and uh, and he almost died um, in a hospital's care. And in order to rescue him from what was happening in that hospital and send him somewhere else, we had to take him by life flight in a helicopter. And that bill was about $35,000. So yeah, three hour uh, helicopter ride. So uh, I guess for, I guess it was a three hour drive. So for him, it was about 45 minutes, but so anyway. Yeah, what, it was, I mean, what, what's your reaction to the fact that a, a British woman in the same circumstances would pay nothing for the ambulance and nothing for the birth? Yeah. What's my reaction? <sighs> I mean, to the labor and birth, I, I feel that um, it comes down to medical tyranny. I feel like that that happens um, here. That's that's the norm. Medical tyranny, um, the, the prices that people pay as to I know that there's a, a few places there's an I think am I thinking of uh, I think either I think Switzerland um, where their cost is uh, not nothing but little like, you know, fifteen hundred two thousand dollars. Last I check again, like maybe within the last five years, I might be off on that number. Oh, but um but it's but it's it's little they have they have it's so small like some of these places they just it, it, the thing is because it's viewed as a normal part part of the process of life right i mean we're women are made to be able to grow babies in our bodies and to birth them and and to have our children it's not a medical emergency so the fact that there's any cost um aside from someone who maybe would like to just ha you know pay like a midwife to come into their home um and you're and you're paying for a service because you want additional support for whatever reason um but but it shouldn't cost anything there's no reason for it to cost anything we well, see the reason I'm, ra I'm raising this point is again to go back to what i said at the start about americans you know that that you you shouldn't vote a lot of people will say, because I, I, I did discuss this with Justin Stelman when I was on his show. Um, Justin Stelman said that if if the whole of America just refused to turn up to vote, that they would just fake it anyway. Yep. They would. Which is probably true. Probably they yes. would. Yep. Yes. But believe me, if no American showed up to a polling booth in a couple of days' time, the people at the top will tremble as never before because they'll say to themselves, oh, my God. They've woken up. They've, they can see through our game. Yep. Yeah. They can yep. see what we're doing to them. My God, yep. what the hell are we going to – we haven't got them duped anymore. We haven't got them yep. under our control anymore. Nothing would make a bigger impact on your country that to not vote at all, and then for all of you to write to whoever wins it because it won't make a difference, and say, look, we've had enough of you. We've, we've got to change all of this. Because I th the reason I raised this is that I, I grew up watching movies like Serpico. Mm -hmm. and that, to me, was one of, it's one of the greatest films I've, I've ever seen. I mean, that's, you know, American cinema, truly. Yeah. At its greatest, it it really is wonderfully written, wonderfully acted, wonderfully directed, and I, I I kept asking myself, why is it that America is so corrupt, and that there is this insatiable appetite for money, money, money? Why is the dollar always king? There's a <clears throat> a scene in uh, that movie where Serpico who is brilliantly played, I have to say, by Al Pacino, Al Pacino um, yeah. turns up at, uh, at Coney Island. And a plainclothes 
cop drives up and immediately all the people who are surrounding Serpico disappear. And this plainclothes cop, who <laughs> is one of the most sinister-looking men I've ever seen, they really chose the actor brilliantly, immediately frisks Serpico. And he says, you know, you're not wired, are you? You know, don't want any wires. And then he starts to interrogate him. And he starts to explain, and he says, look, all this stuff that you've been doing and in the Bronx and one thing or another, $800 or, say, a month of in the back pocket, that's chicken feed. And he says, look, it's only last week we sent out this you know, friend of ours to hit the dope dealers. He, we waited until they'd got it all together, and then we hit them, and it was 40 grand split five ways. And that's serious money. And you don't mess around with that money or it's the end of you. Now, and you're asking yourself, why is it that police officers are as corrupt as that and, and that this kind of thing is happening? And I think that what you've just told me, Megan, to me, it, it makes sense. It's I, I think that in America, that Americans just don't realize that this insatiable appetite for this huge buffer of money which you must feel protects you from any eventuality if you have an accident if you get laid off if you have a baby you know it's, it i think that that in in europe i would say generally speaking people go through life thinking if only i could get ahead to somewhere around 50 grand or 100 grand, I'd feel comfortable. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. the, the phone bill would never be an issue. Little Johnny's shoes, little Sarah's next dress, the children's school fees maybe, none of these things, the, the next car, they wouldn't be an issue if I always had 50 to 100 grand-ish as a buffer in, in the bank. But I think <laughs> Americans must feel... Like, like you must need a, maybe even a, a quarter of a million dollars or half a million dollars <laughs> before you feel safe from anything that might happen. And yeah. I think that that is why America has this the dollar is king mentality. You know, the, one thing I love doing when I'm looking at American movies is recording how often you get what I call gangster values being sold by American movies. Totally. I would ask America, how many times in an American film have you heard somebody say, everybody uses everybody? How many yeah. times have you heard people say, shit happens, everybody lies, never apologize, it's a sign of weakness? Yeah. You've got to give action to get action. And the one that's my favorite, <clears throat> good guys finish last. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. For Absolutely. sure. You can, yeah. you can never be a good guy because you'll get into money trouble. You'll get into financial difficulty. These are morals that gangsters are seeding into your heads every day. This is what you've got to rip apart. Yes. America will not be a decent country <clears throat> until the day that you have free health care. That's where you need to start. You've got to be like Europe in order to create 
a decent society. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, so talking about like uh, not voting, not participating in the system, you know, uh, what about what if we were to take the reins back and insert ourselves into the system, right? So, for example, are you familiar with Brian Rose? <sighs> I want to hear your take. No. You know what? That's I want to hear yours. Okay. Well, okay. So here's my take on it, right? And no, of course, no, 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 no. what's no, that? Start with, let's go ladies first. Megan? Okay. Oh, okay. What question am I answering specifically? Okay, so Brian Rose, he's a, he's our he's our friend. So that, I don't. Uh, I'm not very familiar with that's Brian right, Rose. That's so right. ask me gent more generally. Okay, so basically he's the one, you know, London Real. Oh yeah. Um, he's inter- He's done all the David Icke interviews. I've, I've and, seen some and of that. He's been heavily censored, and so he's he's emerged as like a advocate for freedom of speech, right? which is what we are all about. That's I'm a like big David Icke girl. My number one thing is freedom of speech. Yeah. Um, censorship, and uh, I think anybody who steps up to the plate to take on the power structures in the face of censorship is someone that I admire, you know? And so now, uh, uh, Brian Rose has announced that he's running for mayor of London. And so, yeah. So I wanted to get, uh, what's that? I've seen the advertisement. Yeah. Okay. 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 So, you know, of course he's, he's an American, right? And so you have an American running for mayor of London. I'm sure that causes all kinds of, uh, (laughs) chaos, but, uh, you know, the platform that he stands on, I've, 100% 100% fundamentally support that, you know, but I just, I, I don't know, maybe you have. So essentially what we have is, I mean, we have someone that's along the ideals of someone who's in our, <clears throat> basically community. he's a truther. Yeah. He's in our community. Um, yeah. And he's running for local government. Correct. And what's my take on that? Yeah. Um. So I am, so my, I, in my ideal mind, there would be no government. Ah, um, that would be my ideal. I don't feel that uh, human beings should be managed and controlled and told where they can Good and can't be. You. Well said. Um, so that's, I want to, I, I know that everything that I tend to say on this platform is very, it tends to be like, you know, right leaning or I get called, you know, I, well, I won't even go into what I get called some pretty horrific things. <laughs> and I always say, <laughs> you say people um, say that's right wing. I've, oh uh, yeah, I get taken apart pretty, pr- I, the things that I say, yeah, that I'm very uh, right wing, very extremist and, yeah. uh, and yes. Yeah, like, sh- surely that is the most left wing position that anybody can have. I, I cannot fathom <laughs> how people <laughs> think. But, but, we'll come back to that. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll, come, we'll come back to that in a moment, Megan. Sorry to interrupt, but... I think Brian Rose is CIA. Oh, wow. wow. Damn. Wow. Didn't see that coming. Okay, okay. Wow. And the reason why is that I have had several Facebook <laughs> friends or people who wanted to be, in inverted commas, getting in touch with me and trying to get me to support him. Now, I've had a lot of, you know, very disingenuous people. I mean, I've had... Lots of MI5 agents, uh, mm. particularly women, chatting me up, trying to get to know me, take me, take me to dinner. <laughs> Megan's laughing. 
Yes. Oh, well, I would love to go to dinner, but we would be talking about things that are that are great. So I, I think I think Megan might be. No, I knew it all along. All right, right from all the along. moment I talked about yep. Bill Cooper, you yeah, knew. Yep, she she she, she got oh, me good. Yeah. Anyway, no, not to interrupt. Sorry but to no. interrupt you. No, no, it's, it, no it's, it, the thing is that I think Megan's smiling because she knows how women can spin a web. You know? oh. oh, yeah, we can be pretty. I mean. I say we, not a saying that I have done this, but I know the character of uh, what I always would term to be low vibrational humans. And I am very familiar with the wiles of females because I am a female and I know how our power could be used for evil if someone were to do so um, very well. And if you didn't have any sort of uh, integrity or a conscience or you were an empty vessel person, I can see, especially as a woman, how you could use that for utter evil madness and it be hugely wildly successful well, that is just well, the power that women possess well it's well it's a power that's been directed at me megan and as i say and and not just women have tried to convince me that that brian rose is on the level i don't see any reason to believe he's on the level uh, to me he comes across strongly uh, instantly as as someone who's obviously creepy i find him really really creepy. I have to be honest and say, I, I don't, I don't know that I've ever even seen his face. I'm not okay. very familiar with, uh, I, I'm pretty familiar with David Icke and I've listened to quite a bit of David Icke, um, just in and of himself at rallies and different speeches, but I haven't listened, um, or even could tell you what Brian Rose looked like to be fair. Um, but, um, I tend to pick that up with people too. When they, I always say they have something off in their eyes. You can generally tell someone being disconnected or not being um, a forward human or an upright human by something behind the pupil of the eye. And I don't really know how to explain that. I'm sure if I were to look at his face, it's a but, sense. Um, but but it's so that said, I that you've got Megan, and it's a good thing. So here's a question. So, so the being the fact that like over the course of the last six months, Brian Rose and David Icke have gotten so close together, is David Icke CIA? No, no, no. The, the okay. thing is simply because you you're interviewed by somebody who yeah, totally is pretending to be on the side of the angels. I mean, anybody looking at um, Sean Atwood's podcasts for yeah. for a period could be forgiven if they were new to this. Yeah. for thinking that, that he's on the level. But as I say, I, he appeared just after Prince Andrew's meltdown, or car crash interview. And yeah. <clears throat> I wondered about him <clears throat> from the very start because, as I say, this pandemic is purely and simply to cover for what the pedophiles are up to. And as soon yeah. as it kicked off, it was very interesting to me that Sean Atwood was selling it very heavily, all of the disingenuous figures about, uh, I mean, I mean, he would come on his podcast and say, hello, everybody. And, uh, you know, you got to understand there's, there's 40 million deaths in Italy and there's a hundred million deaths in Africa. And, there's a da, 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 da. and he really oversold it <clears throat> from the very beginning. And this is when I started to, to doubt him, you see. And yeah. so it, it doesn't mean that because you've been on the show. I mean, I mean totally. a lot of people have been on that, um, you know, Young Turks thing. I don't know if it's still yeah. around. Senguga thing. It is. Who are nice people, but that that is controlled disinformation. You know, I heard and, that and, too. You know, I, I, and I, I, I personally think, and you know, 
again, it's one of these things. I'd love to be proved wrong. And if I'm yeah. doing the man a disservice, then I'm doing him a disservice. I yeah. don't like the feeling that I get for Brian Rose. Fair enough. Fair enough. What about, okay, I got I to ask while I got you here. What about <laughs> Alex Jones? <laughs> <laughs> What what uh, well the thing is that, that with him <clears throat> Scott I have said <clears throat> excuse me in in interviews that um, some people said or, or claimed claimed to the conclusion that that he was um, you know working with the CIA or he was, he was a bad man all along. I'm glad I see you raised this because I do want to talk about things that make sense. It does not make sense that he would stand on bridges with banners held up saying 9-11 was an inside job if he was disingenuous then. That does not make sense. Why would he do that? What would, what yeah. would he have to gain? And what would anybody working with him have to gain? That, that, yeah. that does not make sense. I think that what happened to Alex Jones, and it's so American, was that he sold out. I, I just think it's as, as simple as that. The the big thing that came along that, as far as I'm concerned, blew him out of the water was Roger Stone. I still don't know how many Americans are aware of this terrible man who you have, who's got this Richard Nixon tattoo on his back. But Roger Stone really <clears throat> epitomizes what American politics has been about for um, at least since the Second World War. He is the ace dirty trickster. He is the ace underhand man. He understands power. Okay, I'll give him credit for a bit of intelligence. But he is, you know, this the kind of scum that as Americans you most desperately need to target to get rid of. It's that kind of character who's destroyed your society, really truly. And when Alex Jones got into bed with him, and that whole thing that they did, <clears throat> the fake fight that he arranged with, with Senguga, Roger Stone did that because he knew it would create publicity, because you've got these two huge men going at it. And he did it because he knew that by that stage, that people who were doing the kind of thing that you're doing now, were becoming more important, much more important than the mainstream media. The alternative media was taking over. It was absolutely changing people's heads. I mean, I think that my movie in combination, well, I know that my movie in combination with all of these amazing uh, detectives who were looking at the uh, phony terrorism videos and pointing out what was wrong with them, all, all of that was what led to that very strange night when uh, Donald Trump went off the deep end and suddenly started saying, you know, fake news, you know, fake news, you know, fake news. The reason that that happened was that the military had got together and said, look, we've really got a problem here. This goddamn Connolly dude, you know, he's, he's got people completely waking up to what we're really doing. And he's woken everybody up to the fact that all of these broadcasts, you know, 9-11 and the, the Hamburg terror attack and the Paris attack, he's woken everybody up to the, to the fact that it's just all fake news. What are we going to do? And somebody has said, well, it's obvious what we do. Like Richie Allen is saying all the time, people put out clickbait on alternative media. 
and they do this and they do it. And they're always looking for their own bits of attention. So they put out fake news. So we'll just say that everybody else is fake news. Mm. So it had the wonderful effect of muddying the waters completely again. Because if there's the one thing, my friends, that fascists hate more than anything else, it's clarity. Mm -hmm. Yes. Truth and clarity. Not want to be dragged into the light and kept there. Look at what's happened with Prince Andrew. Yep. He gets brought. I mean, he's he's. Ne- we never ever hear the, the the royal family talk on television. And I don't think the Americans realise this. But the Queen never says a word. She does yeah. this thing on Christmas Day for fifteen minutes. It's always crap. Nobody watches it. And other than that, <laughs> we we never hear from her. Never. Yeah. They keep out of the limelight. The thing that yeah. they never ever want is to be dragged into the limelight and kept there. Why do you think that even though I gave him every opportunity when my movie first went viral and, it, 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 you know, everybody realized it, it was, it'd been watched over a billion times, why do you think that even though I gave him every chance when I, when I was on the Justin Stellman show <clears throat> to, you know, to talk to me, Donald Trump would never appear on a, a live TV show, especially with a man like me, because they know that I would show him up from the gangster that he is in, in 10 minutes. His career would be over in 10 minutes because people, you know, with me questioning, with me asking the right questions, I wanted to, to uh, it's, it's reminded me of something because this is important to me because the British media here have done such a terrible job because, as, as I pointed out earlier, the, the lack of talent and the fact that there's, there's just dead wood in the mainstream media now. There is a very, very obvious question, and it's the most important question of all that should have been asked during this whole Prince Andrew, Jeffrey Epstein, Ghislaine Maxwell thing. And our media in Britain is so dumb, and I think it's the same on on your side of the water, that they haven't asked the most obvious and important question of all, because they just haven't got the talent. Now, you might be thinking now, well, okay, what's that question? I'm not going to tell you, and I'm not going to tell them. I'm not going to tell any of them, because I want them panicking, because they should be panicking. Because, believe me, Channel 4 and BBC, they'll all be watching this as I'm speaking, and they'll be thinking to themselves, oh, my God, what the hell is he talking about? We've missed the most obvious question of all. Yes. BBC, yes, Channel 4, ITV. Hello, Tom Giles. Hey, Tom, like and subscribe below, please, would you? Please, thank you. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, I've I've talked to the head of of, of Channel 4, Dorothy Byrne, and they are missing the most important question of all because they're just useless. People like you should be the mainstream media, not the media. Absolutely. Down. You can't. They don't. Francis, we're gonna we're gonna kind of take it down here, Notch. So we're gonna wrap it up uh, on our end. We've got childcare stuff and all this and that. You know what I mean? So, so what we're gonna do though, I want to give you an opportunity. Like, uh, since you and I have been talking, um, I know that there's been a development with a new summer or another. You want to tell us a little bit about that with Trine Day? (laughs) Well, uh, I hardly know how to thank you, my friends. I really don't. 
But yes, this is important. You you might even want to arrange the editing so that you can put this uh, at the beginning or something. Sure. I, I don't know. But I would like to say that um, there was an awful lot of people, uh, one lady in particular who wrote a, a very nice pithy letter called Brianna Weaver. I'd like to say a little wave to Brianna Weaver. And Shout out to Brianna. Because um, she was one among so many people who started to suggest to me, why don't you try to get the movie made into a book? Now, that hadn't even occurred to me that that might be an idea. But because I've tried so hard for so long, and you wouldn't believe the efforts that I've made to try to get the movie into cinemas and, and distributed properly. And, you know, they've just stopped me. The powers that be have, have stopped me. Yeah. And so I thought, well, why not? I'll give it a go. Of course, as soon as I give it a go, I discover that the book world, because it's part of the mainstream media, is just as corrupt as everything else. If you go to Macmillan, Simon Schuster, the, the, the hypocrisy of Penguin Books has absolutely sickened me. They have made millions and millions over the years out of George Orwell's 1984, and now that we have George Orwell's 1984 happening and right in front of our eyes, they won't allow the man who's done most, me, to make people aware of it, into print. Penguin yep. wouldn't even they wouldn't even write back to me. However, to my amazement, I had uh, this offer from. United PC, who are an Australian Austrian, Austrian uh, conglomerate, they offered me a contract to my great surprise. But, and it's funny because I'm actually looking at it over there, after months of negotiations about it, we finally got to the point where I was sent the, the, the contract, I, I printed it out, I put my signature in print, and I'm looking at it now, into a, an envelope that's over there, and put a stamp on it. Just as I was about to post it, I get an email. We're pulling out. Somebody got to them. Yeah. And it was pretty devastating. Let me tell you. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, yeah. that's what it's like, Ed. I'm sure you, you can see what I've been going through. Yeah. So, I, you know, here's me again. I feel like I've bashed my head against a brick wall and, and I'm in pain and whatnot. So I could not be more grateful, and I hope the world will be grateful, uh, you know, to you, Scott, in particular, that, uh, you've put me in touch with this uh, wonderful man called Chris Milligan, yeah. uh, who uh, has – I've just signed the contract and sent it back to him. I got to sign the contract and send it to him this time. That's uh, you know We've got that far at least. Um, to all those who will be cheering at, at, at this moment, I have to say, please let's temper this with a very big dollop of reality. Yeah. I don't know what – Chris is going to face, um, and I don't know what I'm going to face. You can pretty much bet your life that they're going to do something to try and stop this whole thing from happening. What they're going yeah. to do, I, I, I just don't know. But it may be a, a way in which I might be able to raise money for uh, part two of the film. That'd be, also, great. That'd be great. And also to get you know part one into cinemas finally. We can only uh, hope so. But I would like people, please, to send an email, just just a couple of words, just to say to Chris Milligan, uh, and it, the address is, uh, it's, it's trynday at icloud.com. Could I just say that again, Scott, so everybody knows? Try yes, please. Actually, I'd better, I'd better spell it. It's T-R-I-N-E-D-A-Y at iCloud.com. 
could Brianna Weaver, because I'm sure she'll be watching this, and everybody else who's wanted to see my work put into a book form, um, could you please just send a, a quick little email to, to Chris to, to say thank you for your courage? Because I don't know what that man's going to face, but he is a very courageous man. To yeah. get into bed with a, a man like me, as yep. you are, and I, yep. I, really, I really appreciate it. I really appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Well, all right, Francis. Thank you so thank much, you so man. Much, well, hey, Francis. look, we're gonna have to do a follow up here soon. Yeah, um, definitely. I really want to get there's there's so much more that we could get yes. into, and I think that uh, part two of your film, you know, covering Epstein, coronavirus, like the world needs it. So definitely. anything we can do to support you, um, if you ever need, uh, you know, another platform to come speak, let us know, and we'll we'll make it happen. But uh, man, thank you so much for coming on today. Well, we really appreciate you. it. Thank you. Thank you so very much. appreciative. This has been a real nice way to spend a, a Sunday evening. It's, it, it's very, very strange to be interviewed by three people. I, 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 <laughs> you know, I, you know. I found it slightly disconcerting at first. It's strange, but in, in a way, it's it's nicer because it's like being interviewed by a family. It's, uh, it's, it's yeah, very good. Just sitting around a table having a chat. So yeah. Yeah. right on, Francis. Well, take care over there and stay strong, and we'll we'll be in touch. All right. Thank you, you so too. very much. Thank you all very much. Thank you, Megan. Have Ed. a lovely Good evening. Stuff. Thank you. Good night. Take care. All right, everybody. That was Francis Richard Connolly. Absolutely mind blowing. Thank you so very much for sitting Ooh. in with us. I am Megan, sitting here with Scott and Ed. We wish all of you intellectual prosperity. Good night. Bam, 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 bam. Pew. Pew.